Welcome to the Life Stance Podcast, where myself, Dwight Thompson, and my co-host, Nikki Lianza, will bring you conversations with leading Life Stance health professionals to discuss many topics surrounding mental health and current events. Thanks for joining. Welcome back, everyone, to the Life Stance Podcast. Today, uh, myself, Dwight Thompson, and my co-host, Nikki Lianza, are thrilled to have uh, Gwen Booth joining us from Life Stance. Um, Gwen, really excited to have you here. Um, and before we really get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, thrilled to be here, guys. Uh, Gwen Booth, I'm the COO for Life Stance. Um, I'm one of the original founders of the company. So Mike Lester, uh, Donish Kreshi, and I founded the company a little over four years ago. And um, I'm a nurse by training, so tend to come at things with a bit of a clinical lens, but I've been in multi-site healthcare uh, management for the last 20 some years. And, um, you know, Nikki, you had asked a little bit about why we started the company and I'm happy to delve into all sorts of fun stories, but, you know, one of the founding principles was we knew we wanted to be in the behavioral health space, right? Uh, It was a hot space five, six years ago already, the stigma was starting to be, you know, slightly reduced. Mm -hmm. You were seeing addiction be a huge problem out there. And healthcare was taking, uh, you know, the brunt of that problem. And as we looked in the space, the three of us found that um, particularly patients that had insurance didn't have access to care. So Mm -hmm. those that were, um, could afford private pay, there were a lot of psychi- psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists that would take private pay. Still hard to get into them, but they'd take it. <laughs> and then if you were Medicaid, you could probably get into a, a community mental health center and, uh, you know, hopefully, again, limited resource. But you had access. But if you could only afford care if you had your insurance, nobody was taking insurance. Mm-hmm. And so that population, you know, particularly the working population like the three of us here, we say, okay, well, I feel better. I'll feel better and, you know, after it's over, I'm going to stop drinking so much and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be, you know, amazing. The depression will go away. (laughs) And what happens then we get worse and worse and worse, right? So the problem gets worse. Uh, You know, you start to have all these comorbidities, you know, obesity, diabetes, uh, any other underlying condition, they don't pay attention to it because you feel bad. And then you end up in the hospital or you end up in a residential treatment center. So when we started the company, we really want, wanted to address that market. Um, so we, we started the company commercial in network and at the lowest cost of care setting. And I know you mentioned, you know, you had heard, I had a personal story with the, the company, you know, we all have personal stories with companies. We do. We do. Um, I mean, truly you can't, you, I'd be shocked if everyone listening to this podcast does not know someone, yeah. whether it be themselves, a family member, a colleague, somebody they went to school with that isn't struggling with a behavioral health issue. And, you know, when we started the company, I was a foster parent. I'd seen lots of need for behavioral health services, particularly in adolescence. The teenage space is, you know, a space that my husband and I are very passionate about through foster care and 
and adoption and whatnot. And, you know, so when we started the company, we did strategically take it one step further. And this is where the personal story comes in. You know, we saw such a need to have truly integrated care. So mm-hmm. I have a daughter uh, that came to us four years ago, a little over four years ago. Um, and she came from a third world country. Um, when she arrived, I took her into, um, into primary care for medical exam. And she was experiencing bad abdominal pain. And she'd had it before she came. Mm-hmm. Um, and over a series of many visits, they learned she had a condition that's called urinary stenosis. And it means you can't go to the bathroom. You, okay. you go days and you hold it in your bladder. And it's very painful because it backs up into the kidney. And so as a result, your kidneys fail. Oh, man. You have to have a kidney transplant. Or, you know, if you're lucky, you can have surgery uh, or calf the individual to be able to empty the bladder. So it's pretty significant. Imagine a 14-year-old with yeah. that condition. And uh, the, the family practice or the, it was actually a pediatrician, um, after many, many visits, kept saying, you know, are you sure she didn't suffer some, from some trauma, some abuse? Come to find out years and years of very severe uh, traumatic abuse that oh. caused, caused this condition. And so the pediatrician said, you know, mom, dad, you, you can take her to a urologist. They'll treat the bladder. But if you don't treat the mind at the same right. time, she is never going to regain function of that bladder. And you're going to find that she has other conditions that arise as well. So I'm a nurse. I've been in the healthcare field forever. I like know people. Clearly I don't because I couldn't find anyone that would take my insurance to see her. And even being willing to pay private pay and drive a hundred miles. I drive a hundred miles. I struggled to find care. And there were, you know, there were times where I thought, okay, uh, I, I give up let's just let the urologist tackle this. And maybe when mm-hmm. she's 16, 17, then we'll start therapy. Mm-hmm. And that just makes it worse. Um, yeah. And I knew that. So, you know, one of the big important pieces of what we believe in at Life Stance is um, behavioral health is like primary care for the mind. Yes. You have yeah. to have that with primary care for the body. Now, I'm lucky enough I did find care for her and she's doing incredibly well incredibly oh, good to well. hear just graduated that's a, that's uh, going to clemson next year yay uh, yay but good. um you know without that she wouldn't be mm-hmm. um without that uh without that care she wouldn't be able to be a spokesperson for reducing the stigma right of behavioral right. health issues right. and mm-hmm. uh if i couldn't have afforded to send her to private pay, she wouldn't have gotten care. Right. So, um, so I am passionate about it and I see it every day. I happen to have a personal story that hits all aspects, kind of mm-hmm. all of the key stakeholders, but behavioral health changed her life. It saved her life. Mm-hmm. Um, it changed our family. It's thank God we had.
anyway, that's that's kind yeah. of you know, and I still story uh, <laughs> like that. But um, no, Gwen, Gwen, that's an amazing story, and it's obvious your passion and and your passion comes through through your work as well. And I know LifeSense has a new campaign called the No One Face campaign. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about, about that campaign? Yeah, it's super cool. So, again, I could say this a zillion times as well. Y'all know somebody. You do. Mm -hmm. And they don't look the same. They don't come in a certain shape. They don't come with a certain education level. They don't come with a certain economic status. Um, not even an age. There is, you know, many conditions that don't even have predispositions, right? Yeah. And so... Part of reducing that stigma and, quite frankly, taking advantage of the fact that we've seen COVID help reduce that stigma, stigma is to really educate the world. There is no face to behavioral health. Mm -hmm. We would never say there's a face to diabetes. Mm -hmm. We right. would never say right. there's a face to, you know, lung disease. Right. right. But we as humans and as Americans, over time, put a, a face around behavioral health. Right. We want to stop that. There is no face. It's not right. not the homeless drug addict that's affected. Right. It's all faces. Because yeah. that's really what we wanted to show. And it's our attempt uh, truly to have our society look at behavioral health a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, you'll notice we didn't use movie stars. Right. We use, right. We, use real, we use real people. We right. use the people that we see every day in our clinics where we're making their lives better. Right. Um, because that truly is the face of behavioral health. It's everyone. Yeah. Gwen, you really, your, your passion and, and um, sort of like sense of urgency also to, to really roll out access to care is, is very palpable. Um, mm -hmm. And I know we, we talk about sort of the, this idea that it is that for some reason there's this idea that mental health discriminates and, and it does not. Um, right. It really doesn't. 44, as of just a statistic from the National Institute of Mental Health last year, 44 million Americans um, struggle with uh, mental health disorder of some kind. You referenced substance abuse early on. That actually rose, I, I saw that that rose um, one and a half percent to 19 million throughout last year. And it, and it really does. And um, when you think about the year two, it sort of is like a perfect microcosm of we were all in this pandemic. Yeah. That pandemic didn't affect mm -hmm. some of us. It affected all of us. Um, and then seeing the sort of lasting effects of that, as you alluded to earlier, um, it's important that the access to care that, you know, Life Stance is helping roll out is there because there will be so many folks like you were with your daughter that would be struggling to find something. And you had you were persistent and you were searching tirelessly to find something. And the unfortunate reality is most people would not have, they would have given up uh, after being rejected or not being able to find what they needed. So kudos to you for, yes. for having yes. that persistence. Absolutely. So Gwen, how do you think we can overcome the stigma that encompasses mental health? Yeah, so I, I think that's a job of all of us, right? I think that, um, you know, I think if you look at oncology uh, 25 years ago, it's a death sentence, right? So cancer, the C word. And now it is, 
you know, it's, it's a condition that we treat and we, we have a ton of awareness around it, right? We talk about it all the time. We, um, you know, we screen for it. We look for it. We talk about it. We, behavioral health can be the same. And I think anybody in any healthcare profession, quite frankly, you know, has to talk about it. Mm. I think where you really will see the barriers break down is when it is truly part of every clinical visit. So just imagine, you know, you uh, cut your finger chopping onions and you had to go to the ER. When you go to the ER, we're going to check your finger, but we're also going to check your mind. We always Mm -hmm. do. We do, uh, you know, PHQ-9 or we do GADS and we think there might be some anxiety. Because who knows? Maybe you cut your finger because you... We're so anxious. You, yep. you know, we're starting to see some sure. sort of tremor or something. Right, right. But it's just automatic. It's mm-hmm. we don't think about it as a separate thing. It mm-hmm. is part of healthcare. It's healthcare for the mind. Mm-hmm. It's primary care for the mind, and that's when the stigma is really reduced. Um, right, and right. it becomes an opportunity to to be healthier. Um, it becomes mm-hmm. an opportunity to combine those two things to improve society. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's, that's the end goal, right? And so I think we all, all of us listening, have the responsibility to do what we can. And that means talk about it, look for it, and, and accept it as a healthcare, you know, healthcare service that we provide in conjunction with body. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I, I think it's, it's coming to a point of mental health is just as important as physical health. Yeah. And I think that's the key here. And, and choosing, you know, empowerment over the shame of, you know, this perceived stigma. Right. What are your thoughts on that, Dwight? Yeah, um, I think you used a good word as far as choosing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. our, our society does, we have a choice to make. We have the ability to break down the barriers that we're alluding to, um, make it more commonplace. But more than anything, I think um, having a sense of enthusiasm that you can honestly tell um, that you have, Gwen, with um, just having these conversations. That's where a lot of stigmas start to break down is when we're, you know, we're kind of um, normalizing these conversations and having them more frequently and, um, you know, a little bit more comfortably, um, in, in, in uncomfortable spaces. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I agree, Gwen, as far as like kind of the vision of it. Um, and I think, you know, at life stands, we're sort of doing our best to do our part of doing exactly that, breaking down the stigma. Um, and with that being said, I do kind of, I am curious to see what your um, thoughts are as far as where do you see, like you said, we've made a lot of progress. We can kind of have a sense of the end goal. Um, I don't know that the end goal will ever be necessarily tangible. We'll always be working for progress. But where do you see um, mental health advancing here in these next few years? Oh, you know, an ideal state, I think, uh, which I hope hope in my lifetime we see, is when for every condition, there's a behavioral health component that's truly collaborative care. So. An example would be, uh, you know, teenage boy comes in, he has diabetes. You know, that's usually in your early teens. Uh-huh. Uh, and he, uh, he has to wear an insulin pump. His parents are struggling a little bit with all the new food they have to cook and all the different things that change lifestyle. He's starting to think that's going to change his lifestyle as he gets older. Sure. Uh, you know. Uh, different activities with his friends, can't go out and party, whatever it might be. Right. 
there is an opportunity to incorporate behavioral health there that will one ensure he's compliant. Mm -hmm. So he will keep the insulin pump going. He will change his diet. He will think differently about the activities that will keep his body healthy. Mm -hmm. But if you ignore the fact that you have an opportunity for a behavioral health component, the risk of non-compliance, which leads to progression with this type one diabetes, which can eventually lead to really bad things, quite frankly. Um, So in an ideal state, you had collaborative care at the point that he was diagnosed Mm -hmm. and it started from the beginning before he had a behavioral health issue. Right. It was preventative care, knowing full well that there was going to be a mind piece to everything that happens with your body. Right. And there really isn't any condition, right? That you get, there isn't a mind component. My gosh, you get a cold and the cold never goes away. You start to panic. You start to worry. You could say with every single condition, there's the, the opportunity to incorporate the mind to better treat that person, keeping them at a lower lower cost of care setting, keeping them out of the hospital, keeping them out of the ER, keeping them in school, keeping them uh, socializing with their peers, keeping them in a a positive family environment. That is true collaborative care that leads to a better society, Mm -hmm. right? Healthier, happier people, lead to a better society. So that's kind of what I see as the ideal state. Um, It sounds simple. It's not simple. So through collaborative care and healthcare is something that really has never been done outside of academia. But I do think the potential exists and I do think life stance will be a pioneer in that as, as we continue to grow and partner with key stakeholders on making that happen. I agree. And I I certainly see, um, I see the progress that we have made because in large part, that is kind of the heartbeat of our organization is, is collaborating with um, whether it is a primary care doctor, whether it is, um, you know, these are the hospital systems in the different areas that we're present in. Um, I can certainly speak to that from, from my role at the organization. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I see, I see that that's really the only way that's really the only way this thing goes um, is, is collaborating with other people who have, you know, their hands, eyes and ears on clients. Um, and identifying some of those issues. So I I know some of the best care I feel I've done with some of my clients is when we had that collaborative care where I'm, I'm connected to their psychiatrist as well as their medical doctor. And then we're all having conversations and it makes it the most amazing care for my own clients. So I I know that definitely goes for everyone for sure. So So Gwen, as we begin to sort of wind down here, can't thank you enough for, for your feedback up to this point. Um, I do know that there's one thing that I really think, um, is sort of the purpose behind why we do what we do. And it's in our name, a life stance. Um, can you tell us a little bit of some background of where that name originated? Yeah. You know, and I wouldn't say life stance is why we do what we do. Life stance, Dwight, is how we do what we do. Oh, I love that. Love yeah. That. Great so, identifier. You know, um, when we started the company, it was very hard to come up with a name. So I don't know if you look at, you know, how many uh, behavioral health clinics are out there. You know, a lot of them are standalone clinics, uh, addiction centers, everything, every name's taken. So it was not easy. And it was Mike Lester actually that came up with the name. 
And life stance, if you look it up in the dictionary, has a pretty long, uh, uh, long definition. But a therapist uh, did an excellent job of narrowing it down for me so that everybody could understand it. Your life stance is that one thing that helps you through any situation that you did not choose to be in. Mm. Get you through adversity. It's the thing that that kind of makes you who you are, right? It's it's your thing. Mm -hmm. And what we loved about that word is patience, mm -hmm. particularly in behavioral health, but also in, in physical health. They need that life stance, right? Mm -hmm. It's the one mm -hmm. thing that says, I want to get better. Sure. I want to be happier. I want to be able to get out of bed in the morning. I, I want to take care of myself so that I can stay true to my life stance. Mm -hmm. And everybody has a different life stance. And so we wanted to celebrate that as we brought our clients, customers, patients in, you know, similar to the No Face campaign, we celebrated that they were all different mm -hmm. in a beautiful way, in a way that that life stance would help them clinically improve. But then in addition to that, we wanted to create a company where our employees and clinicians did the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we truly value the uniqueness of every individual here. We believe it allows us to do what we do, right? So that match between a client, patient, customer, and a clinician is one of the most beautiful things out there. Mm -hmm. In behavioral health, mm -hmm. it has to be a good marriage. It has to be a good match. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not because of your 100% because of your training, mm -hmm. because what drives a clinician comes out in how they work, their life stance comes out in how they work yeah. and true. it'll come out with the client as well. Yeah. The front, uh, front desk folks, they have a beautiful life stance. It makes the combination of that makes it hum at the front office. Right. Our management team, we are vastly different. We all have a very unique life stance, but mm -hmm. it's what makes us good at what we do. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning and makes us successful at life stance. So we do, um, I actually get shivers when I talk about it because I am so <laughs> passionate about Absolutely. You know, the, the beautiful piece of bringing unique people together and instead of trying to put people in buckets, whether it be a clinician seeing this or a patient needing that, mm -hmm. it is celebrating the uniqueness and trying to find a way to bring that together to make everyone better. Yeah. And, and I do think you see that every day at Life Stance. And I hope, I hope within you know, those listening, I hope you share your Life Stance, right? Yeah. It's something to celebrate within your clinics. You know, we... I talk about it with my direct reports all the time. You know, what is your life stance? I want to hear it and I care about it because it's what makes us hum. Yeah. And so I so, hope- So Gwen, what, what is your life stance? <laughs> Do you feel comfortable sharing what yours is? Kind sure, of put you on the spot sure. here. Yeah, so uh, I always say my life stance is service will raise me up. So I, to serve people. Um, I'm a nurse by heart. Uh, I, I love doing service work. I love having foster kids. I love, 
I love doing work in third world countries. I love being in the service industry. It makes me hum. It's where I see my personal value. It's where I get my joy and my cheer. Um, it's peace. And if you took that away from me, I wouldn't be me. And so I always say, you know, service will raise me up. It's my, it makes me who I am. So that, that is, is a beautiful, that, that is, is a beautiful life sense. Very sure. inspiring. Thank you. Gwen, thank you seriously for giving us some insight into not only your life stance, but um, everything that, you know, our, our practice and bodies and, and tr all the work that we're trying to do and have done um, in yourself included from a personal standpoint. So Absolutely. thank you so much. Awesome to, uh, to visit with both of you. And truly, thank you for all you do and all of you listening. We are grateful for the fact that, you know, both of you and everyone else are making lives better. It we're truly, truly grateful. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Gwen. Gwen.